Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Start Podcast, a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ojeinka. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Shobhana Jaya Madhavan. But before we go into today's episode, I would like to ask you a question. As an immigrant, have you ever wondered if it is possible for you to attain executive leadership level in your career? If you answered yes to that question, then I will encourage you not to miss this episode where Shobana shared how she navigated a journey from working as an usher at a sports arena to senior management positions, including executive director and acting assistant deputy minister. But before we go into that, let me tell you a little bit about Shobana. Shobana was born in Malaysia and raised in India. She has an undergraduate degree in philosophy from Calicut University, Kerala, India, and a postgraduate degree in social work from Tata Institute of Social Sciences, Mumbai, India. Shobana completed her PhD candidacy in child and youth care from the University of Victoria. Since 1991, Shobana has worked in a non-profit, public and private sectors in India, Malaysia and Canada. Please help me in welcoming Shobana Jaya Madhavan. I'm so excited to have you on the show, Shubana. Thank you, David. A great pleasure. Thank you for coming. So let's get right into our conversation with the time we have here together. Can you take us through your journey? I know I've read about some of the amazing and fantastic things you've done in your career, but take us through your journey to Canada and how you've been able to navigate your journey. It's always um, nice for me to look back at 1995, the year that I landed uh, as an immigrant here in Vancouver, in British Columbia, Canada. And I think what led me to Canada was my quest for travel, for adventures, and just getting to know people from different cultures and different walks of life. Uh, After I finished my master's in social work from Tata Institute in Mumbai, I moved back to Malaysia, which is my birthplace, and worked there for a couple of years. And what I realized was that there were many social political issues in Malaysia that led to me not feeling very comfortable and welcome there. And I was looking to move to another country um, when my brother, who was already here in Canada, Uh, encouraged me to apply and move here. So that's what sort of led me to Canada. Uh, It was far away from home as one could get. And I thought this would take me to places and uh, open up doors that um, I would love to walk through. And uh, I'm so glad that I did it, David. Wow. That's interesting. So let's dig deeper into your, into your journey. How was it like when you just came to Canada? So when I landed in Canada, I was in my late 20s. And I had finished my education, um, had traveled a bit, worked overseas, mainly in Southeast Asia uh, and in uh, India. And I think uh, 
when I landed here, uh, what was really unexpected was uh, just how beautiful this place was. <laughs> and also how friendly people were. I personally had a very, very positive experience as a new immigrant, except for the issue of finding a job in the early days. In terms of how I felt I was welcomed, treated, and my engagement with people in Canada from different you know, backgrounds, it was extremely positive, and I was just super excited about it. <laughs> okay, so you were excited about the warmth, welcome, the kindness of the people, the genuine love of the people around you. But what were your hopes for your new life when you moved to Canada? I would say I had uh, two main hopes when I immigrated to Canada. One was to see the world, uh, which I absolutely loved then and I still love now. The second one was to establish a, a career that was meaningful and had deep purpose. Those were my two hopes, I would say, when I landed in Canada. Okay, you said, to, you said something very beautiful. You said, establish a career. Can you take us through your journey of establishing your career? So like most uh, immigrants, uh, David, when I applied for immigration, I scored very high points based on my social work background. And I just presumed uh, that what that translates into is when I land here, I would quite easily find a job in the social services sector and be able to practice um, my social work uh, profession. But when I got here, uh, I would say that I was not only shocked but quite uh, devastated that it was going to be a struggle to find a job in the social services sector. Mm -hmm. And the recognition of your credentials during the immigration process does not translate into positive employment opportunities and experiences. And frankly speaking, I was not prepared for that. And it cost a tremendous amount of grief and uh, it was very difficult in the early months of, of coming here to realize that all that hard work, all that international experience did not really matter. And the only possibility of starting to work in Canada was in, an, in, in a minimum wage job. Mm -hmm. So that was my early experience. And it took a while for me to get into the social work profession. But looking back now, because it's been, you know, uh, a long time that I've been here in Canada, looking back, I think that early experience of struggling to find a job, doing a minimum wage job, and then getting into my field, really, really deepened my understanding of the struggles that immigrants and refugees face when they leave their homeland and they move to a different country. So while it was difficult, I greatly appreciate that experience. Okay. You said it took a while for you to get into the social work, which is what you are really passionate about. It's obvious that you are not where you used to be when you came to Canada. Can you take us through the different faces, the different jobs you did before you eventually got your dream job 
one and also how did you pivot into your dream job the steps you took the process you went through go please share that journey in detail with us so when i first started to apply for jobs in canada in 1995 i started to apply only for social work jobs and counseling jobs because that was my area of training expertise and that was what i loved to do it soon became obvious to me that i was not going to be getting even an interview call uh, in fact i did not get a single response to the many many applications i sent in and i quickly realized i need a plan b <laughs> so what i did was i went to a local settlement agency that helps immigrants and refugees and i said hey what should i be doing here so they asked me to change my resume uh canadianize it a little bit more and then encouraged me to also start looking for volunteer positions because a lot of times people who come from other parts of the world don't realize that volunteer work even though it's not paid work that's also important work and is an important work experience for one to gather mm-hmm. so the first job i actually did in canada was as a volunteer i volunteered in a local senior center i supported the recreation department and i helped seniors do recreational activities and it helped me get a really good understanding of work in canada the cultural context the workplace context it also got me my first good canadian work reference from my supervisor at the volunteer job that i was in mm-hmm. i then uh, started to apply for lots of minimum wage jobs because my savings started to run out and it was very important to find a job that would help me pay my bills and i did not have much luck with that either uh, i remember applying for a waitress job in a chinese restaurant close to vancouver and i did not get a call back and my brother telling me that perhaps the reason was i put my masters qualifications on the application form and i remember then for the following jobs that i applied for i took out my masters degree and left it at an undergrad degree uh thinking that might get me a call but it took a while frankly david and uh several months later i got a call from a sports arena that had just been opened up uh called gm place now it's called rogers arena in vancouver and they interviewed me and told me i was overqualified for any job that they had to offer and i looked at the two individuals who were interviewing me and said i need a job desperately and i'm willing to do any job so just slot me into something here and they hired me as an usher and paid me $7.50 canadian an hour so that was my first real paid job in canada looking back it was horrifying for me to accept the job and to start working in the job because i absolutely did not have context and did not have any experience that prepared me for taking up a minimum wage job in a foreign country mm-hmm. and i just did not have the heart to tell my parents that that was my first job because mm-hmm. i knew they would terribly terribly hurt but it was important to do that to step out of one's comfort zone it was a smart thing to do at that point in time as i was uh starting to do that job i saw an ad for a employment counselor job in a mental health facility applied and got that job 
And I kept both jobs because jobs were hard to find. Mm -hmm. So I would work from nine to five in my counseling job and then get changed into my uniform, hop on the bus and go over to the sports arena and then work from six to midnight uh, throughout the week uh, in the sports arena. And as I was doing this, I started to explore other possibilities. And I noticed that there was a major hiring happening in the provincial government for social workers in the child welfare field. And while I did not know much about the Canadian child welfare system, I applied for that position, got shortlisted and went in for a final interview. And what I realized during that interview uh, this was in the fall of 1995, none of the questions made sense to me because they were questions that were very contextualized in the BC child welfare system, in the British Columbia child welfare system. Mm -hmm. so it was about the legislation, the policies and the practices that child welfare professionals would understand had they been in the system or they'd gone to school here. But for someone like me, that didn't go to school a single day in Canada, the questions didn't make much sense. And those days with limited internet access, I definitely didn't have a laptop at home. It was very difficult to research and prepare for these interviews. So I got, I would say, almost all the questions wrong. But thankfully, at the very end, there was a role play. And in that role play, I believe I did extremely well. And I got a call from the chair of the interview panel. And she told me that they were very impressed with me based on the role play, but concerned that I did not get the answers right. So what they were going to do is recognize that I'm a new immigrant. I'm still getting a hang of things here in Canada and that they would hire me and put me on probation for six months. And at the end of six months, they would make a determination whether I could continue to work in government. Looking back, that openness to give me an opportunity and looking at the promise and potential that I showcased during the interview, paying attention to that rather than my wrong answers was what changed the trajectory of my career in Canada. Because they could easily have said, you failed the interview, good luck. And so I'm very thankful to the panel and the panel chair who took that risk. And looking back, it changed everything for me. So then I started uh, working in the BC government in, the, in December of 1995 and had a very, very meaningful career in the public service for 20 years. And over a 20-year period, I moved from being a frontline social worker to a team leader, manager, director. And my last position was executive director and acting assistant deputy minister. And in 2015, uh, when my father suddenly passed away, I made the decision to resign from government and move back to India and work in India and look after my mother there. And that's how I showed up in Chennai in Southern India and became head of HR and AVP of organizational excellence uh, with a private company. And that was a fantastic experience too. 
And then in 2017, uh, my two boys wanted to resume their studies in Canada. And so I moved back and was fortunate to uh, be hired at Simon Fraser University as Associate Vice President of External Relations and uh, started a new chapter of my career. And it felt I was re-immigrating to Canada. <laughs> and, uh, I've had a phenomenal uh, second wave and experience here in Canada, David. What a beautiful story. You, you said something that very interesting that someone gave you a chance. And so from the time they gave you a chance to you becoming the acting deputy minister, how many years in between? Uh, so I started my career in 1995 and uh, I with the government of with the government of BC. Yes, with the government of British Columbia, with the Ministry for Children and Family Development. Mm -hmm. And it was in 2014 mm -hmm. that I was hired as executive director. I was the first executive director of the Provincial Office of Domestic Violence in British Columbia. And during that period, I had the opportunity to also be acting deputy minister and step in for my boss uh, from time to time. So it was over a 20-year period. And during this time, uh, an important step that I took that also contributed, I believe, to a more positive career experience was trying to go back to school in Canada. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And very similar to my initial job experiences, most of the universities that I approached in Canada would not consider me for the PhD program, even though I had an internationally recognized master's degree from Tata Institute of Social Sciences. Mm -hmm. And most of the universities in Canada that I approached wanted me to repeat my master's degree. And I refused to do that on a matter of principle, uh, not ego, but just a matter of principle, because I was fully aware that my classmates from Tata Institute had successfully completed their PhD programs in the US and UK and other parts of the world. So I just waited and eventually uh, around 2006, while I was uh, in the BC government, one of our retired assistant deputy ministers, who was also teaching at the University of Victoria, introduced me to the director of the School of Child and Youth Care, who encouraged me to apply for the first PhD program in child and youth care and advocated for my foreign credentials to be recognized and mm. successfully got into the first cohort. Six of us were selected from across Canada. And while I could not complete the, the PhD program and graduate as planned uh, because of uh, personal and uh, my career uh, chances and choices uh, in the BC government, I completed all the coursework and the candidacy exams. Mm -hmm. and that played an important role because it not only enhanced my understanding of the Canadian social services sector, it also gave me tremendous confidence to work, you know, shoulder to shoulder with my Canadian colleagues, mm -hmm. uh, which I think was, was also very useful. All right. So speaking of the Canadian educational experience and also your, your experience coming from India and then bringing that to Canada, 
And in your experience as a mentor to youths, professionals, and immigrants, what do you think is the best way to navigate different situations or um, based on your own experience, what do you think is the best way for professionals, for immigrants who come to Canada as professionals to navigate their career? This question has been asked many, many times uh, by a lot of people who have reached out to me, David. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a complex question, right? Because there's really two parts to the question. One is the personal side of us, you know, how we see the world, how we think, you know, how we dream about how our life's going to be, um, a connection to our country, cultures, and, and all the social nuances that are part of our life. Then there is the professional, you know, how we got trained in some field, you know, the effort we put into get educational qualifications, the effort we put into immigrate to a country, and then our professional goals. They're intertwined and they're interconnected, right? And that's why it becomes very emotionally difficult for people when they come to a country like State Canada as professionals and then realize that the only thing they can really do for the time being is to drive a taxi to pay the bills. Um, it's very difficult. So my uh, thoughts based on my own experience, David, is that we've got to be strategic. You know, I was able to get through life and I was able to move forward in a relatively positive way because I really took the emotions out of the picture. Uh, one needs to be very strategic and one needs to have a short-term strategy and then a long-term strategy. So the short-term strategy is probably going to be more about survival. So each family that comes into Canada might have a very different reality, financial reality. So depending on how much money you have, what kind of a support system you have, whether you have two incomes or one income, uh, whether you have children or not, your short-term strategy will be quite different. So if you have no choice, you need to make money to pay the bills, then you need to be okay about picking up any job, minimum wage job included, and just pay those bills. But it's important not to lose sight of what is the long-term goal here. So if you belong to a certain profession, and that's what you want to be in for the rest of your life, you've got to figure out a way to make a long-term plan. As a newcomer, it's very difficult to do it unless you have people to support you. So finding a mentor, volunteering in an organization that is connected to your professional field uh, and networking become critical. So when I look at my own life here in Canada, I started to volunteer from the moment I got to Canada. I still volunteer on a regular basis. I had mentors over the last couple of decades, and now I mentor others. And I've always, always focused on my network. So I have my professional networks, I have my personal networks. And these different things that we do collectively will help us get to where we want to go in the long run. And things will sometimes take time. For some people, it might just take a year to jump into your field of choice. Other people, it might take five years or 10 years. But I think it's important for us to realize that we cannot expect things to be exactly the way it was when we were growing up in our homeland. When we move to a foreign country, 
the context is different. The laws are different and the expectations of us as immigrants and refugees are, are different. So one has to be patient. One has to never stop believing in oneself. And one has to believe that things will get better and eventually we will be able to accomplish our goals. So that's my two cents. <laughs> Thank you so much for that insight. As a social worker and someone who works at a university, you interface with a lot of people ranging from student to parent. But a lot of times, because unlearning is very difficult than relearning. So because we've been brought up in a certain way, we also want to raise our children that way. What, as a mother, as a social worker, as a professional who works in the university space, in the academic space, what are the strategies to raise children in Canada by newcomers? That's a very interesting question. <laughs> so I think, so I have to share a little bit about myself uh, to give some context for what I'm going to say uh, in a few moments here, David. So I see myself as part of the larger humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, I was born in Malaysia, grew up in India, went back, traveled across Asia quite a bit, and then moved to North America. And I have friends um, from uh, all walks of life, from different parts of the world. And I think I am who I am. And I experience a great deal of happiness and meaning in my life just because of how diverse my, my connections uh, and networks are. And that has influenced how I raise my two sons. Um, I have always, always, you know, um, promoted this message that we are part of humanity and we have so much to learn and appreciate about people from all religions, from all cultures, from all backgrounds, right? And because we are just a drop in a large, large, you know, ocean of humanity here. So my personal view on parenting is that we need to be very open-minded, we need to be very flexible, and we need to be very respectful of our own children. Uh, I see my children as equals. I learn probably more from them than they learn from me, you know? And I think that openness and willingness uh, to be curious, uh, you know, about, uh, about our children and about different ways of knowing, different ways of learning and unlearning, I think makes parenting um, a very easy, but also an exciting, you know, uh, experience. A lot of times when I was a child welfare professionals, a professional, what I saw was the families where there was an incredible amount of tension and conflicts between parents and children, uh, especially immigrant families, the reason was because there was this very rigid way of looking at parenting. So parents would say, you know, what these children are trying to do here uh, is, is, is completely opposed to what I expect them to do. And I don't like them uh, not living the way or thinking the way they did when we were in our home country. And the children going to Canadian schools, making Canadian friends, you know, having a different worldview now, they could not appreciate the parents' viewpoint. Mm 
and there was a lot of tension. So I think what really will help is to approach parenting from a curious, respectful and open-minded sort of a perspective and being open to the idea that we know so little in the bigger scheme of things. We definitely want good for our children. We want them to be happy, healthy, and successful, but we don't have all the answers. The other thing is children these days, right? They are born into a society where independence is, is, is worshipped, uh, where technology you know, makes up for a lot of things that previously uh, you know, parents maybe needed to be the source of knowledge. These days, children would just Google it and figure it out for themselves. So things have changed uh, immensely over the years. And I think as new immigrants, uh, you know, if we as parents can just not be so hard on ourselves and our children and, and instill confidence in our children and respect them as people, who can also make good choices, I think things will be much easier for, for all parties concerned. Thank you for sharing your insights on that very um, critical topic, I would say. You spoke earlier about finding mentors and building your network. Can you tell us about the practical steps to find mentors and building a network of quality people. So when I look back at my life, the last 30 years of being a professional uh, career woman, I would say one of the most significant things that impacted my career was almost always having a mentor. And then in the last few years, what has impacted me tremendously is being a mentor uh, to others. So the practical steps involved is twofold, in my opinion. The first is self-reflection. It takes quite a bit of humility and putting one's ego aside to recognize that we all are imperfect and we have major gaps, whether it's knowledge, skills, or ability, or personality traits. We all could do better. We all could improve ourselves tremendously. So it's very important for us to understand our own depth and currency in terms of what we're good at. You know, so what some leadership courses will call mastery, right? It's very important to do a self-assessment. You know, what is the depth and, and breadth of what I have to offer? Where are the gaps? And what have I done in terms of being current about it, right? And then once we figure that out, we can then ask the next question, who would be the right kind of mentor for me? So for example, let's just say that I'm trying to move into an area that uh, requires me to have a much stronger business acumen. And let's just say in all the previous jobs I've had, that is not one skill that I've had an opportunity to strengthen tremendously. When I look for a mentor, I should probably be looking for somebody who is a CEO or a CFO or a startup guru, you know, who can basically point things I lack and then give me some practical advice, point me to good resources that will then help me strengthen that business acumen. So the first step is more personal. The second step is more the reaching out 
into networks through LinkedIn, through, um, through our professional networks, through our workplaces, or you know, putting out the, a, a call for a mentor saying, hey, I'm looking for somebody with this background and with this uh, ability to mentor me because this is what I'm trying to do with my life. And, and so there's two, two parts uh, for it. And what is really important is to make sure that you value the mentor's time uh, and respect it. Because these are busy people, they have their personal and professional lives, and they're doing this pro bono. They're not charging you a penny for it. So making sure that you make the time for it, you prepare for the sessions, you do your homework, you do your reading, and you show up in a good way and not be a minute late for those meetings. But those are some of the things we can do to maximize what we gain from these mentoring relationships. I, in the first 20 years in Canada, all my mentors were from my workplace, from the BC government. They were generally individuals who were two or three levels ahead of me in government and who had tremendous experience and were gracious enough to mentor me. And in the last, uh, part of my career in government, I then started to reach out to people outside of government in the private sector because I wanted a different perspective. I wanted to hone in on a couple of other skill sets. And currently as a mentor, I mentor both individuals in government and also individuals in the private sector and the nonprofit sector. Fantastic. This is the end of part one. We've actually got a lot more coming in part two. I really enjoyed this first part of my interview with Shopana, and as you can tell, I had a great time chatting with Shopana. I'm so excited for part two, where we discussed the true definition of success, the importance of giving back, how Shopana has dealt with some of our mistakes and many more. So stay tuned for part two coming in the next episode of the Fresh Start Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at freshstartorb. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you please go to www.thefreshstartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.